Turn with me to 1 Kings 18. I'm going to get straight in to reading God's Word, and then we're going to think about it um, for the next maybe 15 minutes, okay? So 1 Kings 18, um, this is God's Word. I'm going to read from verse 30 through to verse 39. 1 Kings 18. This is that moment uh, on Mount Carmel, Elijah against the prophets of Baal. Just a massive showdown um, and a mighty display of God's power as God's prophet um, goes to war um, with these prophets of Baal. Let's pick up uh, 1 Kings 18 at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the uh, tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sails of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Amen. And we'll we'll finish uh, reading God's word there and we're thankful for it. And I believe God is speaking already to us tonight and will continue to do so um, in these next few moments. Welcome to, to our Remnant event tonight. I am just thrilled to be here. I am not a young adult. Those years passed me by a long time ago. Um, I'm an old man. The beard is getting grayer. You can't maybe see it from there, but the gray hairs are everywhere. I'm old. Um, and I'm delighted to be here. I'm just delighted that you're here and that you're worshiping God together and that we're on this journey of thinking about what it means to be this remnant of God's people who are contending for the faith in this, our day and our generation, your day and your generation. If you were here at our last event in March, and we described this idea that there has always been a remnant of God's people. There's always been throughout Scripture this group of people inside the people of Israel or then within the church who would remain loyal to God, who would seek his face, who would desire to be faithful to him even whenever many around them were not. They were a loyal, worshiping people of God who sought his presence and desired to live in faithful obedience to him. They were the faithful remnant. They were and they are today resilient disciples, those whose hearts are set, resolute, 
on following Jesus in their day. And we outlined those three big markers, values, DNA, strands that, that we want to share as a people, as this remnant generation today. And Shane has already touched on those. The first of them is that we don't want to settle for the status quo. In other words, the same old, same old will not do. We, we don't want to just keep blindly walking down paths that lead us and the church perhaps nowhere. We won't settle for that. We don't want to settle for any mere religiosity. So we're not settling for the status quo. Secondly, the remnant we believe will act as the pumping heart of the local church. In other words, we want you to go back to your local church. We want you to be and bring the life-giving presence and blood and, and power of Jesus to your local church. And we believe you can do that. You have that energy. We want you to have that passion to bring it back to your local church. And thirdly, this idea of the remnant, being a people who engage in, in contending prayer. And that's what we're thinking about this evening, contending prayer. I do have a few slides. Did those get to the desk? Oh, for goodness sake. How do I work without slides? It's all right. So remnants, Mark Sayers in his book, um, Reappearing Church, says this about remnants. We talked about this last time as well. Remnants are not communities built around opinion or critique. Instead, they enflesh the presence-driven renewal. And he says, in our age of opinion, social media venting, virtue signaling, and image management, remnants choose a different path. They pursue with others in the hidden places the eternal perspective to cry and to contend to step into the gap, choosing not punditry, but contention. And he says instead, their way is prayer. Central to renewal and remnants in every move of God is this practice of contending prayer. Contending prayer. For such a long time, I believe, and as I look back over my lifetime and what I've seen in the church I think we would all um, agree that church has been a place where, where many people have just come to consume, to spectate, to not get in the ring, um, to just consume, to sit, to maybe chat to a few people, to sing a few hymns or worship songs, to consume a sermon from a minister or a pastor at the front of the church and then leave again. Perhaps just consuming more information without much transformation. Then there are others who have maybe gone a little bit further. They, they've served, they've got involved in, in church life and kids ministry, youth ministry, music ministry, the AV team, um, maybe uh, other aspects of church life, which is really good, by the way. We want you to get involved and to serve. But if, again, if we're honest, it can all become very comfortable and very sanitized very nice and gentle and easy without this sense of contending. And I, I really do believe that consumption and comfort are two plagues that are slowly eating away at the body of Christ. We become so comfortable and so consuming that we don't contend. We don't really get in the ring. Thank you for that really good picture tonight, Shane, of getting into the ring, the ring of contention. And I want to remind us all again tonight, I love the church. We are the church. You are the church. We are from many different churches, but we are the church. The church is the ecclesia in Greek. I, I talk about this often because that word means called out ones. 
It's translated church today, but it simply means the called out ones, the ones called out by Jesus. He has put his hand on you. He has called you by name. He's called you out of your old life and he's called you into his kingdom and into his church. We are the called out ones. As John Mark Comer writes, he says, we're not a community of comfort, but of calling. We're not a community of comfort, but of calling. We're a robust community that functions as a counter culture to the world around us. Or as John Tyson writes, he says, we are a beautiful resistance. Isn't that a, that's a good picture, actually. We're a resistance to the culture around us, but we are a, a beautiful resistance. We're a warm resistance. We are a resistance to what goes on around us in such a way that, that people are intrigued, people are drawn towards us, or at least they should. We're a beautiful resistance of God's people. We're an alternative society. In case you're unaware, we're on the margins again. It's almost back to the first centuries of the church. We're on the margins again. The church is no longer at the center. We've been pushed out. Slowly, we're being edged out to the margins of society, but we're an alternative group of God's people. We live in an alternative but compelling and beautiful way that represents the kingdom of God. We are a prophetic signpost to God's kingdom, to God's kingdom life in a culture of death all around us. That's who we are as the church. And in the middle of all of that, what is the engine what is the engine? What is the boiler room of us as the people of God? What is the, the engine room of this compelling counter-cultural movement called the church? It's prayer. Prayer is the boiler room. It's the engine room. It's the heartbeat of the local church, particularly contending prayer. Whenever we want to see God move, we want to see God move. We want to see people awakened. That's the heartbeat of this remnant movement. We want to see God move. We want to see an awakening, spiritual renewal. We want to see the kingdom come. We want to see people come to faith in Jesus. We want to see this nation transformed. We want people to encounter our God. And so in 1 Kings 18, if you've got your Bible open, answer me, Lord, answer me. At this time of sacrifice, this moment of showdown, this critical moment, the prophet Elijah steps forward and he prays. He stands up and he prays and he cries out to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. What's he doing there? He's just reminding himself of the rich history and legacy behind the God that he worships. There's a God who is the God of, of his people, and he cries out to the God of his people and he says, let it be known, let it be known, God, today that you are God and that I am your servant and that you've done all these things at your command. And then Elijah says, answer me, Lord, answer me. Sometimes we read those kind of words and, and we just, you know, answer me, Lord, answer me. Do these things so that people will know that you're God. I don't think that's the tone. And this week as I read through that, the tone was hitting me. It's like, answer me, Lord. God, will you answer the cry of my heart? Answer me. I'm in a showdown here. 
My life could be over right now, God. I am totally depending on you as the God of all creation, the God of my ancestors, the God of my people to answer me. Answer me, God. Right now, come. Come and answer me. I'm feeling vulnerable, God. The battle is real. I am vastly outnumbered. Answer me. Come and answer the cry of your servant. And he says, tell these people, show them that you are God. Turn their hearts back again. Isn't that a cry of contention? That's a contending prayer. If you want an example from the Bible of contending prayer, that's it. In the face of a scene of devastation, in a culture of chaos, Elijah cries out that God would answer him, that God would make himself known, and that God would turn people's hearts back again to him. In the New Testament letter of Jude, um, Jude writes that we are to contend for the faith. We are to contend for this faith that we carry in our hearts. Shane's um, done this much better than I'm about to do, but contending prayer is, is a wrestle. It's a grapple. It's to wrestle, to grapple in prayer with God on behalf of something or someone, something that we want to see happen. We go, we go to war over it. We, we battle, we grapple, we wrestle with God in the place of prayer. Has anyone in here, any wrestlers in here, just, just out of interest? Oh, there's none. Um, I look back, by the way, and this is genuine. I would love to have wrestled when I was younger. And I don't mean, I don't mean WWE. I mean like that full-on Greco-Roman stuff or, or, or freestyle wrestling, something like that. Whenever I was about 35, I, I took up judo. Anyone done judo before? Which one we had? I love it. Judo. Judo was amazing. I did it for about two years as a 35-year-old. And what they, they took great pleasure, because our kids were doing it, two of my boys were doing it, and they took great pleasure in like getting the dads to grapple with each other, you know. And, and every week they put me up against this guy who was about 22 stone, and it was brutal. That's not me, by the way. That's proper judo there. But it involves a lot of grappling, a lot of wrestling for space, they would make us grapple for five minutes straight. And I don't want to tell you where I was breathing out of by the end of it, by the way. It was brutal. In a wrestling match or in a grapple, there's an ongoing struggle to maintain control or victory over an opponent. That's what grappling means. Neither participant is willing to give up or back down until one is clearly pinned or defeated. It's a picture of contending prayer. Contending involves grappling, wrestling, not giving up. It also involves contending for the kingdom to come in places where Satan either has a grip or thinks he has a grip. Ephesians 4.27 says, Do not give the devil a foothold. Better translation of that, by the way, is do not give place or territory to the devil. That's a better translation. Do not give place or territory to the devil. And when we think of it that way, it kind of sheds light on this idea of, of reclaiming land or, or reclaiming hearts from Satan, the enemy of God. You see, the enemy is at work all around us trying to claim land. So we must contend for the kingdom to come. 
Your generation has been distracted. I believe your generation has been totally distracted. Your generation has been made to believe that there are pursuits worth pursuing greater than the pursuit of the kingdom of God. Your generation has has been fed information that has caused them to drift far from God. There's a battle that is real for your heart, for the heart of your generation. Contending involves grappling. The enemy is at work and we grapple for ground. When we go into the place of contending prayer, when we get in the ring, we grapple for ground. We cry out to God to come and to move in power. Our desire is to see the will of God. But have you ever ever stopped to think that actually there is a demonic willpower at work as well? The devil and his demonic powers have a willpower. They have an agenda too. And so when we go into the place of contending prayer, we seek the will and the power of God to overcome the enemy. We get in the ring and we take him on. Think about it this way. If I discover that a group of of Satanists or something like that are trying to, to, to plot the downfall of this church, which does happen, by the way, we experience great opposition here. If I discover a group of of people plotting the downfall of this church, I'm not going to call on those who excel, for example, in contemplative prayer. You know, light the candles. Get ourselves in that place of peace and rest and calm. I'm going to call on the contenders. I want those who will contend for what's going on in our community for the, those who are plotting the downfall of this church. I want to summon those who will contend to get loud with the powers of darkness. Those with the holy, burning, righteous anger at what the enemy is up to. I want to call the contenders, those who will properly stand in the authority given to us by the Lord Jesus. Those who will wrestle in prayer, calling upon the Lord to reveal himself in power. Here's the thing, we all carry that. We all carry an authority in Jesus. Don't we believe that? Do you believe that? If you're in Christ, you carry the authority of the kingdom. It's within you. And we all carry the capacity to contend for the kingdom of God. It's within all of us. And so in many ways tonight, I want to call out the lion in you. I want to call out what's caged within you. That part of you that's going to fight for the kingdom of God, for your generation, for the church, and what God is going to do among us. I want to call out the contenders. I want to call you out tonight. I want you to get through the ropes and into the ring. I honestly think something really significant could be birthed out of what we're talking about tonight. Brett McCracken writes, this is a vision of prayer as battle. Desperate, rugged, relentless, crying out to God. I wonder, are we going to go there? I'm going to be really honest. I haven't been very good at this. I was thinking about this all week. I've been rubbish at contending prayer. Rubbish at it. To my shame. 
And I think, secondly, it's because this kind of prayer happens best in community. When we get around other people, others, other people whose hearts beat for it, other people who want to get in the ring with us, suddenly we're eyeballing each other and we're like, let's do this, let's go, let's contend. Let's take this on. Let's take this on. Let's, let's go to war for the kingdom of God here. And the war happens in the place of contending prayer. This kind of prayer is not just, it's not just going to happen. We've got to go for it. We must go after it. I'm calling you tonight to go after it. To go after this kind of prayer. When we step into a posture of contending, I'm almost finished. We choose to stand in the place of transformation rather than accumulation, writes Mark Sayers. He says, we no longer live to acquire a portfolio of possessions and cool experiences. He says, God invites us to partner with him, to contend and center our lives around his mission in this world. I want to just finish with a story. I want to finish with a story. I'm going to walk. You just listen to me. I'm going to walk. There's a plaque at the back of this church. I hope the mic still works. There's a plaque at the back of this church. This church, isn't this a beautiful building, by the way? There's all these plaques around the place, and I, I'm, you know, I'm not overly sure what they all are. Um, there's some. There's a war memorial one over there, and then there's some at the back here from some former uh, ministers. And there's one here. You can turn around and look at this. So this one here. It says on it, in, in loving remembrance of the Reverend Joseph Barclay, okay, born 26th of April, listen to the, listen to the year, 1811. What's that, 212 years ago? Is that right? Mathematicians? That's probably wrong, is it? Am I wrong? No, that's right, yeah. No? Is that right? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, 212 years ago, yeah. That's when he was born. He died 17th of November, 1880. William Bar- or Joseph Barclay was for 35 years minister of this church. That's a good stint, William, uh, Joseph, well done. He was a, a, wee bit of, a wee bit of a bio. He was an affectionate husband, faithful preacher, devoted pastor, wise counselor, a constant friend, and a diligent servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's this verse at the bottom, Acts 11:24. It says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added Unto the Lord. Joseph Barclay was a minister here for 35 years, okay? During that time, those years. During those years, I don't know if you're aware of this, but a spiritual awakening hit this province. Northern Ireland would never be the same. There was a, a revival that hit this place, that hit our wee country. But you know what? I've been discovering the revival hit this church under the ministry of Joseph Barclay. And Joseph Barclay write, wrote a journal. Sorry, I've got goosebumps, goosebumps thinking about this. I think this is really important. I, I believe God is going to open an old well. Just makes me smile, that thought. that God wants you to know something tonight. Joseph Barclay wrote a journal on the back of what happened during that renewal, that awakening. He writes this, the first Sabbath in June, 1859, 
was a day to be remembered long in this place. Can you picture it? I want you to think about what God's speaking into your heart as I read this. Listen to this. Reverend Joseph Barclay writes, When the Lord is about to visit a neighborhood in mercy, writes the Reverend Joseph Barclay of Carmelie, he usually puts it into the hearts of God's people to pray for it. It was so here, for having heard what the Lord was doing in other places, a deep anxiety pervaded every bosom, old language, and we should not be passed by. And although there was no formal concerts of prayer, there were many a praying Jacob in the family and in the closet, listen to this, wrestling for a blessing. One lady in particular, I'm calling you ladies, one lady in particular, months before its appearance, said to a friend, we shall shortly have the revival with us. And on being asked why she said so, she replied, because the Lord has put it into my heart to pray for it. Others I'm aware, Joseph Barclay writes, we're expecting and praying for it likewise. The answer, he says, was not long delayed, but it came in a way none of us had anticipated. A Christian merchant from Belfast on the first Sabbath in June felt constrained, as he said himself, though unsolicited, to come out here and address us on the subject of revivals and to tell us more especially of what he had himself witnessed of the Lord's doings on the previous night. And although there was nothing in his address, so far as man could judge, calculated to produce an impression, yet that evening, he says, two females in their own houses were in deep distress about their souls, accompanied by great bodily weakness. A few evenings after the same gentleman, he's never named, by the way, addressed an immense meeting of the church here. This is an immense meeting right now. And never perhaps was more striking an illustration of the words, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. For barely had he spoken 10 sentences. And these not remarkable for power or persuasiveness or anything of the kind, when one and another were stricken down, crying to the Lord for mercy. And then listen to this. And then the glory of the Lord filled the house. Glory of the Lord so filled the house that not less than 50 souls had found peace in believing. Never can a night like that be forgotten here. Joseph Barclay goes on and he tells story after story of the, the months and the days ahead when multitudes of people put their trust in Jesus. Great awakening. In a dark age, great revival. Spiritual temperature of the whole nation was changed. It's a mighty move of the Spirit of God. And where does it begin? Where does it begin? In the place of contending prayer. There has never been a move of God in any generation that did not happen without a group of people saying, we are going to go to war over this. We're going to stand in the place of prayer. We're going to pray for our generation. We're going to pray for our friends. We're going to pray for our colleagues. We're going to pray 
for our university campuses. We're going to pray for our neighborhoods. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to cry out to God. We're going to be a praying Jacob. We're going to wrestle in prayer. We're going to get on our, on our knees, on our faces. We're going to cry out to God. Habakkuk 3, verse 2. I'm going to dander back to the front here. Never preached from the back of this church before. That was, a, that was an experience. Habakkuk 3, verse 2, if you look at it on the screen. And that's Ireland, by the way. That's a map, satellite image. Habakkuk writes, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. It's a desert place out there, isn't it? feels a bit desolate. God wants to plant. He wants to dig deep into your heart. He wants to sow stuff. It's going to change a nation. The question is, will we let him do it? Or is this just going to be another one of those meetings? It's another one of those rising talks from that very excitable minister in Carmony. I believe this with all my heart. Something so significant in this tonight. I'm going to hand back. Shane, you're going to just lead us in. Sorry, I, I was given 15 minutes and I was probably about 30. Um, Shane's going to lead us in, 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 a, in a time of prayer. And I think this is really, really important just what we do with this and where we go with this tonight. Um, but I just really believe, Shane, that God's speaking to us um, and hopefully, hopefully something really significant happens.